Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. I'm Chris Holmes, and this is Burned by Books. Welcome to a very special Valentine's Day episode. I have the great pleasure of talking with the editors of Anonymous Sex, the newly released collection of erotic short fiction by 27 of the most recognizable international authors on the planet. The catch is that while we know the authors, the stories are unattributed. The sex is anonymous, as it were, making this one of the most exciting and provocative collections in recent memory. Cheryl Lulian Tan and Hilary Jordan talk with me about the genesis of this project, their joy at the sheer diversity of voices and styles and forms that these authors brought to their stories, their search for fresh language with which to write about sex and desire, the challenge of stories that press on cultural boundaries for sexuality, and much, much more. This was a wonderfully fun and rich interview with two amazing authors. I hope it will add something special to your Valentine's Day celebrations. And I hope that you will run out and buy Anonymous Sex. Welcome back to Burned by Books. What do writers like Robert Olin Butler, Julia Glass, Louise Erdrich, Helen Oyeyemi, Rebecca Mackay, and Taya Obrecht have in common? A commitment to the beauty and aesthetics of literary fiction? Popular and critical success, including just about every award you can win? Before a month ago, I wouldn't have said an interest in explicit sex writing. But along comes the perfect anthology for this Valentine's Day episode, Anonymous Sex. Contributed to and edited by two prominent writers in their own right, Hilary Jordan and Cheryl Lulian Tan, Anonymous Sex is a glorious parlor game of whodunit sex writing. 
we get a list of 27 extraordinary international writers and 27 stories about sex, desire, eroticism, power, submission, domination, and intimacy. But we have no idea the authorship of each particular story. Anonymous sex stands apart from the kinds of erotica normally associated with sex writing. There's nothing staid or expected about the stories in this collection. There's revenge sex, unrequited sex, funny sex, tortured sex, fairy tale sex. I mean, did we ever really doubt which kind of hair all Rapunzel's suitors were so excited about? And even sex after death. These are a long way from your parents' quote-unquote dirty stories. Sex is rarely the end goal here, but rather a way to explore the fundamental nature of how desire shapes us and stretches a character's understanding of their needs, intimate and otherwise. Some of these stories are indeed erotic, but the vast diversity of voices and forms of intimacy mean that one reader's shock will be another's kink. And that's the way it should be. What makes anonymous sex special is that it shakes us out of our comfort zones and asks us to find pleasure in representations of desire that do not necessarily conform to our own limited ideas of what sex is and can be. The stories surprise, shock, titillate, and they are never anything less than literary in their attention to the beauty and power of language. It's a real pleasure to introduce you to the writers who conceived of this utterly unique collection. Hilary Jordan is the author of the novels Mudbound and When She Woke. Mudbound was an international bestseller that won multiple awards and was adapted into a critically acclaimed Netflix film that earned four Academy Award nominations. Hilary is also a screenwriter, essayist, and poet whose work has been published in the New York Times, McSweeney's, and Outside Magazine, among others. She lives in Brooklyn, New York. Cheryl Lulian Tan is author of the international bestsellers Sarong Party Girls and A Tiger in the Kitchen, a memoir of food and family. She is also the editor of the fiction anthology Singapore Noir. Cheryl was a staff writer at the Wall Street Journal, In Style, The Baltimore Sun, and her stories and reviews have also appeared in the New York Times, Times Literary Supplement, the Paris Review, the Washington Post, and Bon Appetit, among others. Born and raised in Singapore, she lives in New York City. Welcome to the show, Hillary and Cheryl. Thank you for having us. Thank you. We're delighted to be here. As far as I know, this is a <clears throat> one-of-a-kind conceit. A book of sex writing where we know who the authors are, just not which stories belong to each of them. I want to first know where the idea came from for a book of erotic stories, but then I'm dying to know how you came up with this completely unique form of authorship. Well, uh, we were sitting over dinner and talking about uh, our shared enjoyment of erotica when it's well written which um, sometimes it is not, and wishing that there were more stories uh, like the, the ones told by D.H. Lawrence, Aeneas Nin, um, even John Cleland. And so uh, we thought, what if we, you know, what if we had all of these very famous award-winning writers who are at the top of their game contribute to an erotic anthology? 
And then we thought, how do we get them to say yes, all of these incredibly famous people? And that's when we came up with the idea of making the stories anonymous so that um, it would give them the freedom to write whatever they wished. And it would give readers a chance to come to the stories um, completely in complete innocence, so to speak, so that they're just reacting to the words on the page and not to any knowledge about the uh, author's identity. And this was uh, um, this was conceived, I would say, seven or eight years ago. And um, time passed. Uh, Hillary and I thought it was a great idea. We were excited about this, but we could never find the time to do it because Hillary would be working on a novel or I'd be working on a novel and, and nothing just sort of coordinated well. And then the pandemic happened and I found myself in my childhood bedroom in Singapore in my mother's home uh, going slightly stir crazy in this huge lockdown. Hmm. And Hillary was in lockdown in Maine at the time. And we got on this FaceTime phone call and we said, well, now we have the time. <laughs> you know, we're both in lockdown. The world has stopped. Uh, we're both trying to write. Um, and at the time, we were both suffering from a lot of the same paralysis that I think a lot of writers now say that they were going through at the time. And we thought, well, this is a great time for this fun project. Uh, why don't we see what we can do? And so we spoke to our agents. And the very first person we chose to invite was Julia Glass because um, it was felt symbolic because she had she was the one who had introduced us years ago at the Brooklyn Book Festival. And so I FaceTimed Julie from Singapore and she said yes immediately. And we thought we're onto something um, because I think it was a time of great loneliness and isolation for so many so many people around the world and um, you know you couldn't even hug your friends um, <laughs> and you know and let alone you know have intimacies that we that we took for granted before and so I think it, we felt like it was just the right time to be embarking on this journey yeah that's so interesting I figured that you must have come up with the idea pre-pandemic but I imagine it it resonates so totally differently. I mean, I think most of us feel pretty deprived of um, any kind of touch. And so in this period where you were both locked away, um, really deprived of the normal, the really ordinary intimacies of every day, that perhaps the, um, the resonance was much different than when you came up with it. Was that the case? Oh, for sure. I mean, I think we, we were both feeling... Uh, well, I'm, I was completely by myself, and I was feeling um, pretty acute loneliness and um, and just, you know, there the, we didn't have vaccines at that point. I mean, this was June of 2020 when Cheryl and I decided to do this. So vaccines weren't even in sight, and it just felt like a very grim time. And, you know, part of what this collection is about, besides the literature, is fun. I mean, it's a fun project, mm -hmm. and I think it... And we all needed some joy. Uh, I'm speaking we of, of, of all the authors, the contributors. And um, I actually hadn't written a, a word, I mean, in June of 2020. And uh, so when I started my story for this, it was like the first fiction I'd written in, in months. And um, be because of the nature of it, I was able to sort of get right in and, and enjoy it and rediscover my craft. It was also kind of a surreal time um, for a lot of our writers. And I think that that enabled them to take a leap, perhaps more than they would have in normal times. 
uh, one of our writers, S.J. Roseanne, the mystery writer, this is very much outside of her box. And um, she said it was such a surreal time. It felt like going on this surreal journey. It seemed <laughs> completely natural. And she said, um, you know, this is totally not a story that I, this is a story I would have written completely differently had it not happened in that time. And, you know, what's interesting about this collection, I feel, is that a lot, many of the names that you'll see are, are not people that you would normally associate with explicit sex stories. No, and, that's very true. <laughs> Yeah. And so and I think that um, having that us approaching them in this time and them writing this in this time, perhaps allowed them to just sort of uh, jump off and just really go out there uh, to places that they might not have normally gone. And uh, and so that's very that, that was very exciting for us to, to, to be on this journey with them. So it might have been a, a kind of catalyst for creativity in general, not just sort of erotic writing creativity, which is a real gift during a time where I think a lot of us, I mean, as Hillary said, felt very dampened by everything that was going on. I mean, of the of, of the many superstars, uh, quite a few of whom were were surprising to me. Uh, I'm I'm interested in particular in in two. Mary Louise Parker, the actor, who is also a writer, but primarily I think we understand her as an actor. And Jason Reynolds, who's a YA superstar, but um, I don't know if he's written any adult fiction. So I, I wonder why those two ended up on your list of invites. Well, Mary Louise. Um wrote uh, a kind of fictional memoir, um, a sort of a combination of the two called Dear Mr. You um, a few years back. And she was represented by Michael Takens, um, who was also the publicity person who did Mudbound. And uh, we were, when we were sort of forming our list, um, you know, I was corresponding with Michael and saying, and he said, well, is there anybody on, on, you know, on my list of people that might interest you? And I said, what about Mary Louise? Because she, I mean, the book was really, really brave. It was really, uh, she really put a lot of herself on the line in writing that book. And also she has a, a kind of sexy persona. And I thought, you know, Cheryl and I talked about it and, and we decided she would be a great invite and that we'd probably get a great story from her. And uh, she said, yes, and we did. Hmm. And uh, and Jason, I've been a huge fan of Jason's for a while. Um, and I think part of the exciting thing about doing this this anthology for me was just seeing what what writers who you know we I've admired, but you really don't associate with sex would produce. And Jason was a writer like that for me. Um, you know, he's such a gifted writer. He's so wonderful. He's such a great personality. Um, and I think it, I, I believe this is one of his first forays into adult fiction. And um, and he was a very enthusiastic yes. Um, I was honestly a little surprised because I I thought that this might be a little bit not hit something not, that he would not do. But he was very enthusiastic. He he turned in just the most beautiful story and he's been on every, I, I love seeing his Instagram feed because he will post about this book and like 2000 librarians will just go crazy because they <laughs> don't understand this what is going on in this alternate universe that Jason <laughs> seems to be in right now um like you know there's so many on on the list uh that we have that that I completely did not expect. And I didn't understand, I didn't know what to expect from them too. Louise Erdrich, um, Rebecca Mackay, you know, Paul Theroux, it, it's a, and a Jeet Tile and, and Chigozi Obioma. Uh, I've loved their, their fiction for so long. I, um, you know, they're both Booker Prize finalists. And uh, just to, just to kind of see like what they, what they turned in was, was really wonderful. 
Did you get a lot of uh, rejections initially? Did you have to have a kind of high, high number of asks to get the the number that you were looking for? We ended up writing ninety letters, and um, so and we got twenty twenty five uh, yeses. Um, but we also got some wonderful no's. Um, several writers really wanted to do this, and they tried to figure out how they could make it work in their schedules. But they just ended up not being able to because they had a book due or uh, family stuff going on in the pandemic. Um, and so they were like, you know, if this ever happens again, like, let me know. Um, and so and also, you know, there were some people who who said, um, you know, I would love this sounds really cool. I would love to be a part of it. But I just don't think that I write sex very well. <laughs> and so I think that that was that was something that they were a little afraid of. I'm not afraid, but, you know, just sort of like I know myself, I, I don't do this very well. And I would not be able to give you something that would be palatable, perhaps. So, um, so you know, so we, we, we wrote 90 letters and we got 25 wonderful names, more than we anticipated. We had thought maybe if we get 15, 20, that's fantastic. But we end up getting 25. That's a pretty good percentage, actually, from the kind of writers and the profile of the writers you are asking. Well, it's interesting because um, we, we were speaking to Ron Charles of the Washington Post, and Cheryl and I each gave him a brief interview. And one of the things he asked me is, you know, but you didn't ask any writers of erotica. Um, and that sort of goes back to your first, to what you were saying about the nature of the stories in this collection is that we didn't want the expected. We wanted, we wanted to surprise people and, and we wanted to help, to help writers really uh, find surprising aspects to their own craft and to their own storytelling. And in some panels we've done, some of our writers have actually said that, you know, this was something that they'd never really done before so explicitly and that it, it might make them rethink um, how they write sex in future books or intimate situations. And so I, I like the idea that this sort of creative endeavor that we were all on together, um, perhaps has unlocked different things for, the, for, for some of our writers. Um, one of our writers early on took to calling this book, um, The Good Ship HMS Anonymous Sex. And it kind <laughs> of felt like that at some points that we weren't all quite sure what we were doing, but we were all doing it together, that we were all in the same boat sailing into this sort of uncharted sea. And, uh, and who knew what would happen, but it would be fun. Hmm. Were you worried at all that you would get some bad literary sex. I mean, I'll use Ian McEwen as my primary example, since he has won the, the quasi-official award for bad sex writing many times now. He's such a wonderful writer, but he has some embarrassingly bad sex scenes, so you certainly could have gotten that from these writers. Um, were you worried about it, and um, did you have to kind of send back through the editorial mill any things that felt um, more McEwen than you wanted them to be? <laughs> I, I don't know. Speaking for myself, I was more worried that I would be the bad sex writer. <laughs> I was very focused on, uh, you know, just making my own language as fresh as I possibly could. Um, and, you know, we did edit some stories. Some stories needed very little to no editing. Some needed a bit more. But um, in the end, I, I mean, I think that any fears we did have were, were not realized. We, we really got um, some, some great writing and some great sex writing. That word you used, fresh, fresh language, I think that's the problem for me with um, most kind of generic erotica is that it all uses the same language mm -hmm. and uh, yeah. 
I think um, w one of the reviews, I believe it might have been the New York Times review, um, noted that there were no throbbing members here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> And I think that our writers really were, I mean, and they do this in their normal uh, work anyway. They, they, they try to not write the usual. And uh, in, a, in a panel that we did yesterday with the Center for Fiction in New York, uh, Jeet Tile, who dialed in from Bangalore, India, said, uh, you know, that he, he, he very consciously tried not to use the usual words associated with sex. Um, and I think that that was part of it. Everyone really worked hard. To, everyone worked to bring something fresh to the table. And I think Hillary talked about um, how, you know, part of making sure that you don't write bad sex scenes is, is if you read aloud what you're writing, because mm -hmm. you'll really identify it right away. If it sounds kind of weird or cliched or coin, you'll, you'll hear it the moment, the moment you read it aloud. With a big clunk <laughs> that makes you wince. <laughs> um, I would call these challenging stories in the best way. And I mean that they challenge a lot of preconceptions about sex and desire. It feels like a wonderful anthology of a lot of sex's possibilities. But some of those possibilities cross boundaries and push buttons. The first story, which is, I'll admit, perhaps my favorite in the collection, involves a prominent historian at an academic conference. She's given herself over to be dominated by another historian with the understanding that their bondage play will be filmed and possibly released to the conference at large should she fail to obey him. For some readers, this might push on some uncomfortable gender roles. For others, it might be the perfect kink. Were there stories that pushed your boundaries and limits? And can you imagine turning down a story that might go too far in your understanding of the limits of sex and desire, even if you thought it was a quite a fine literary story? There were definitely some stories that uh, we knew would be troubling for some people. Um, there's one story that, that uh, uh, uses the word mulatto for example, hmm. um, and it's told, uh, you know, from the point of view of a white man, but using that term, but then the, the, the woman he's discussing actually rebuts him. There's some story, you know, the story you mentioned, I mean, we have gotten a couple of people saying, uh, well, I, I, I wouldn't read that because, you know, that's not consent, but it actually is consent. So we, we knew that it would, we knew that some of these stories would be controversial. But, uh, you know, that's as it should be. I mean, sex is incredibly individual. You know, it's very intimate to each person, what you find to be erotic, what you find to be a turnoff. And we definitely didn't want, you know, 27 um, stories that were all, you know, alike and all and, and not taking any risks at all. And, and I think a lot of these writers took big risks and we really appreciated that. And also, you know, we really wanted to stress the freedom to write whatever they wanted. So we basically said to all of them, we would like a story from you about sex that's between 1,000 and 8,000 words. Those were really the only parameters. And um, we didn't know what we, were gonna, we were, what we were going to get. And we were very fortunate that these stories are all incredibly varied. No story is like the other. Um, and yes, some of them push buttons. Um, and, but I feel, I, but they push button, different buttons in different ways. 
Um, but Hillary and I were also very careful to make sure we, we, we read these stories not as people who admire these writers, but also as readers who would be picking up the book and perhaps reacting to it. So, you know, for example, the story that she mentioned in which uh, a woman is referred to as a mulatto, it's a, his, it's a period piece. It's historical fiction. It's set in a time, in a particular time in which, in, the, in which the person being called a mulatto is given agency because she is she rebuts it, as Hillary says. Um, so we were very careful to, to kind of look over these stories with the eye of the reader as well. And while we didn't censor anyone, we just wanted to make sure that the stories rang true in every instance. You're both contributors to this cole- collection as well as its editors. I'm not going to ask you to offer any details that might pull back the curtain on which stories are yours, um, but could you each talk a little bit about the process via which you went about conjuring your own stories? Did you have authors that you went to for inspiration? Did something immediately come to mind, or did you need inspiration? Well, before I started writing, I, I reread Lady Chatterley's Lover, which is mm-hmm. um, was probably my introduction to really wonderful erotica. Um, I reread Aeneas Nin, um, just to sort of get myself into that, that mind frame. And then I started writing a story that I abandoned because it didn't feel um, special enough. It felt like it was about sex, but it didn't feel, it didn't feel deeply interesting to me. And if it's not deeply interesting to me, then I know it's not going to be deeply interesting to a reader. So I started over with a a completely different story, not at the last minute, but at the next to last minute and was, was sort of approached it as I would approach any other thing that I write, you know, just, I knew it was going to be about sex, but you know, it had to be an interesting story, had to be an interesting character with a problem, which is where I usually begin, um, everything that I write, a character with a problem, uh, hopefully doesn't give too much away because I think we have a lot of those Mm -hmm. in this book. Um, it's funny because I went the opposite direction. Whenever I'm writing something, I can't, I consciously try not to read anything that is close to what I'm trying to write, either in subject matter, geography, everything. Um, I, I don't, I don't want to know. I don't want to think about it in that way. Um, and so it's funny, I was thinking about the book that I picked up again to read right before working on my story. And it was actually an, an Ian McEwan book. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Subconscious. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I always, it's funny. I always, uh, it's such a, it's one of my very favorite books on Chesil Beach. Mm-hmm. And I love reading it right before I start writing anything because his characters, the two characters in it are so well sketched out and it's, it flows so beautifully and naturally. Um, and it's, 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 it's a short book, so I, I can always read it in a day. And, and it always puts me in the right frame of mind to be thinking about how characters are developed and what they're thinking and how they reveal themselves to each other, when they reveal themselves to each other. And I, I love that book so much. And so that, that was how I prepared for reading EMU. <laughs> <laughs> that is so funny because I think of that as a deeply wonderful book that has maybe the most embarrassing sex scene of any kind of major literary writer of the 20th or 21st century. It has that super infamous uh, premature ejaculation scene. So I think that's hysterical that that's where you turn to for your inspiration. I know. It's also, it's so, I love that this book is so profound and so deeply funny too mm, um, in its own it way and and also and also revealing and and just i think it's it's the it's masterful the way the characters just sort of like 
understand each other. Um, and you're right that, you know, that sex scene, uh, you know, I, I, I don't think I wrote uh, any, a, an embarrassingly bad sex scene. Sorry. <laughs> um, so I, I don't want people to be looking for that in the book and going, that's Cheryl's story. <laughs> <laughs> um, sex is certainly not culturally neutral. There are very distinct cultural and even national mores around sex. You have contributors who are originally from Nigeria, the UK, and Eastern Europe. Suvankam Tamabongsa is Canadian, but she was born in a refugee camp in Thailand. Luis Alberto Urea is Mexican-American, and the list goes on. Hillary, I think you were born in the States, and Cheryl, I know you were born and raised in, in Singapore. Did you see writers working out or confronting different kinds of cultural taboos and restrictions in the way that they represented sex and desire? And did you have to confront any of your own cultural biases? Well, Cheryl, you're from Singapore. Why don't you take that one first? <laughs> well, you know, I grew up, uh, the country that I, Singapore is very modern, yet also very traditional and very patriarchal still. Um, in fact, this this book is mysteriously not sold in Singapore yet because of freight issues. <laughs> so, um, and, you know, it's a uh, Fifty Shades of Grey, for example, um, was uh, and my one of my my the last anthology I edited, which had a blowjob scene in it along with Fifty Shades of Grey, were shrink-wrapped with a sticker that said you had to be 18 in order to buy it so you could open the book and look at it. Oh, um, fascinating. So it's a, it's a country in which, you know, there are red light districts everywhere. Sex is, uh, prostitution is legal and it's everywhere in the country. And yet there is this real complex about, about dealing with sex. And I think that, you know, several writers from countries outside of the U.S. have also grown up in similar, have similar cultural backgrounds. Um, and so... I, you know, I'm not sure that they necessarily used the story or, or worked out their uh, cultural taboos and restrictions in their stories because a lot of the writers actually wrote really far outside of their boxes. You know, men wrote women's perspectives, women wrote from men's perspectives. Uh, people set stories in countries that you would really, or, or cities where you would really not associate them with. Um, so in some ways, I don't think... I think that the writers felt completely unshackled to just explore whatever it was that stirred them, whatever pocket that was of the world or, or culture um, that stirred them. So I, I, I think that if you would say, oh, this writer probably wrote that because they lived there for a while, uh, you might be surprised, actually. Hmm. Well, I will speak as an American um, to that. I mean, I think we have our own issues around sex in this country. You know, one of our contributors, Heidi DeRoe, uh, wrote a book called The Girl Who Fell from the Sky. And a couple of days ago, she found out that there's a school district in Tennessee that's wanting to ban her book because oh. of the sexual content. Um, so and I'm sure there are other authors on our list who have had books that were banned. And so, you know, and it seems very intense at this moment in time, which is why I was very excited that, that to, to, to make this book because it, it pushes back against, you know, some of these ideas. One of our contributors, Jason Reynolds, was giving an interview and, and he was asked about, you know, why did you write about sex? And he said, well, I write about what is deeply human and sex is deeply human. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's, we're not the only creatures, obviously, who have sex, but it is, um, it's, a, it's a huge part of our experience in life. And so 
to not write about sex or to sort of stigmatize sex in any way to me just feels bizarre because it's it's a very natural thing it's an intrinsic thing and it's an important thing in our lives and um and i'm and i you know i just think people should <laughs> be able to write about read about have whatever kind of sex they want and um and i think this book sort of champions that idea I think, unfortunately, you're going to have to forgo being on any Texas high school curricula lists for a, yes. for a bit anyway. <laughs> um, of the many stories in the collection that will last for me, um, and I have, have, I'm having many of them sort of fly through my mind right now, two stand out for me as examples of the, the real diversity of style and tone in this collection. The first, Find Me, is set in the early 20th century and follows a young, recently widowed wife who has acquitted herself to a life of disappointments until, while traveling to meet a new husband, she is confronted by a criminal in her sleeper car. The other, woman eaten by shark drawn to her gold Byzantine ring, is the shortest in the collection. It is two pages of a stream of consciousness remembering of a woman's life of abuse at the hands of her husband. She is, as the title suggests, devoured by a shark, and the story becomes an erotic of death. It would be hard to find two more different representations of desire. I won't ask for favorites, but what are the stories that have called you back recently? You know, it's interesting because this now that the collection is out in the world, have we're getting press reactions to it where the other authors are choosing stories to read from find me is is one of the stories that i most love in the collection it would be a, an amazing standalone story anywhere i think yeah it's fantastic um i mean we look they're all our children all the stories but like sex itself i think that there are just different stories that are going to speak to different people um so the stories that i love um, are not necessarily the same stories that Cheryl will love or that you will love. But Find Me is definitely one of them. You know, the first story is so incredibly powerful and suspenseful. Um, the last story is very sweet and beautiful. And I want to mention the last story, Partita, because it it's an extraordinary story that encompasses a woman's entire sexual life um, okay. in reverse. So we we first meet her as an old woman having very careful sex with her husband. And then we go backward in time through their courtship, her having children, back to her adolescence, back to her very first um, glimmer of sexuality. So that's that's another story that I love, but there are so many stories that I love. There's a great uh, little section at the end of, of Partita that says, um, that summer the bees are drunk with longing, the birds are yes. frantic with lust. How does anyone survive intact with all this yearning? Which I thought was one of one of my favorite descriptions of young desire. Oh, yes. Yeah, I'm with Hillary. You know, they're they're all our babies. I, I love all of them in their own way because they all bring something very, very different to this collection. I, you know, I, I tend to write very darkly funny novels and fiction and so i i tend i often tend to gravitate to it. i love funny sex stories um because sex can be funny you know it's it's arousing it's a lot of things but it's also funny um so some of the funny ones in the collection are, are 
are ones that I really liked. But also, you know, I like the ones that are that say something very profound about a situation, a society, and a dynamic. You know, Love Doll, for example. You know, you you start out it's you you, you can see sex being kind of weaponized in there. Um, you start out thinking that one person has the power in that relationship in that sexual dynamic, and then you gradually, with the, the turn of each page, you realize that's not quite what you thought at first. Um, so I love you know, the, the, the stories that kind of take a hard look at society and present a pocket of time, a moment where, you know, it's something that's very revealing of, you know, two characters or more in a certain moment in time in a certain very specific city or country or society. If this collection happens to spark something in our listeners, are there other writers that you admire for their treatment of sex while still being quite literary? To whom should we look to find the good stuff? I'm a big fan of um, Michael Cunningham's sex scenes. I, I mean, he had, especially in his first three novels, um, first two novels, really, Flesh and Flesh and Blood, Flesh and Bone, Flesh and Blood, and um, and A Home at the End of the World. I always, uh, I've reread those um, those books and reread those um, sex scenes because I just. I don't know. He it it just feels very uh, very intimate, very very particular to that character, and that's another thing, by the way, that I would say distinguishes really good erotica is that the is that the sex feels particular to a to a to a well developed character. Mm. It's not just the same sex that any character could have in any book on any page, and um, and I think he does a great job of that of sort of linking sexual feelings to deeply held emotions of his characters. Um, that's just one example. For me, I like two particular spaces within the realm of sex writing. One of them is, is sort of that yearning, the space of yearning. And uh, so I think a lot of old Japanese poetry, I think at the beginning of the book, we have a little poem from Ono no Komachi. And uh, like, you know, a lot of old Japanese poetry sort of explores that space very beautifully. Um, but I also like, you know, how the exploration of sex as power and how women have used it and men too. But I prim I'm very interested in how women have used um, intimacy and sex as, as kind of a as a, as, a, as a power kind of dynamic. And I think one of the writers that comes to mind, I love um, Fumiko Enchi. She's one of my favorite writers. Oh, she's amazing. Uh, the Waiting Years, like that's one that really kind of pops up. There's so much yearning. There's so much the delicate dance around sex, the sex itself. It's it's incredible. It's it's just phenomenal to read. And I, I, I that's another book that I reread now and then. Um, Muriel Spark, I love as well. <laughs> I'm a huge Muriel Spark fan. And um, she writes about this dance between people uh, very well and um, and very sharply too. I like things that really show you something about about that's very acute about a character and and often that is best expressed or very well expressed through how they interact with each other in a sexual way. I'm so glad that um, Enchi Fumiko has made her way onto this podcast because I haven't thought about her in a, a very long time. And I think she's an extraordinary writer that deserves to be rediscovered by everyone um, at least once a year. But I, I also just love anything that Michael Cunningham does. And I'm going to be returning to him with an appreciation for his sex scenes as well. 
Well, Hillary and Cheryl, this has been so nice and fun and really perfect for a Valentine's Day episode. And I just want everyone to run out and get anonymous sex because it's made my last couple of weeks just a lot lighter and more just a lot of fun, but also real appreciation for how wonderful, thoughtful literary writing can involve sex. So thank you both for this collection. Thank you thank so you. much. And I, I, I'm guessing that you meant run out and get Anonymous Sex, the book. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe both, you know, we, uh, uh, everyone has their own Valentine's Day interest. So, well, yes. thank you again. Thank, thank you so much. That's all from me for now. My enormous thanks to Cheryl Lulian Tan and Hilary Jordan for sharing their experiences creating this one-of-a-kind collection. Thanks also to John Salveson for making this interview happen. Please visit our website at burnedbybooks.com, where you'll find Hilary and Cheryl's recommendations, as well as all of our previous episodes, and the opportunity to get some podcast merch. Happy Valentine's Day! and look out for some very special shows in the coming weeks, including next week's guest, Jessamine Chan, author of The School for Good Mothers. Until then, this has been Burned by Books. Burned by Books.